Now, I have ADHD in the real world, and I have ADHD in the new world. When I'm in new world, my ADHD is being treated. What's up, y'all? I'm Deeg. This is the Deeg Podcast. Today, I want to think about new world, and specifically, after playing it for the last week, let's be honest, binging it a little bit. The sense of immense calm that's flowed from immersing myself in this world. I haven't had a feeling like this in a long time. A real deep sense of stillness. A real cessation of irritation. And I challenged myself to answer, why am I feeling this way by playing this game? Have I felt this way before? And I realized that I had. And to explain why, I'm going to have to talk to you about Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, otherwise known as ADHD. What is ADHD? Well, I had no idea a year and a half ago. Here's how it went down for me. I was in the hunt for a therapist. You know, I'd seen therapists for years and years going all the way back to my early 20s when it when I was thought to be depressed and it had become something of just a mainstay of my life. I always have someone who I work with to just at a minimum talk things out and I have worked with some folks who were very minimal in some ways. Um so I didn't know who to talk to. I got a reference from my insurance about a list of names. I just started at the top of the list, letter A, and went down. First person I called, I got an appointment with. I talked to him, and he said, you have ADHD. And I said, what? what? That, that can't be right. I'm 36 years old. How can I have ADHD? Well, apparently... You can, and I did. So besides the diagnosis, he gave me some medication to try and some basic materials. What I learned about ADHD at the ver on the very first day was the following. It's a neurodeve <laughs> neurodevelopmental disorder characterized by inattention, impulsivity, and physical hyperactivity. About 5% of children and adults have it. It's traditionally considered a childhood ailment, but there's now good evidence that it is prevalent in adulthood and can lead to significant disability. About 60% of children with ADHD continue to meet diagnostic criteria for ADHD in adulthood. ADHD changes as children goes up. It presents differently, especially hyperactivity tends to diminish as people get older. Some adult patients only meet criteria for ADHD as an adult, not as a child. Hey, Henry. But for a less dry explanation of what ADHD was, I searched the internet. Who can really tell me not what ADHD is, but what it means? You know, what it means to me specifically. And I stumbled upon Dr. Russell Berkeley. He's a clinical psychologist, a professor of psychiatry, and has studied ADHD since 1973. 
and he is a man who I have come to endearingly, in my own head, refer to as the angry grandpa of ADHD. So what is it? So I want you to understand that you have a brain. The back part of it is where you learn. The front part is where you do. Knowledge performance, knowing, doing. And ADHD splits them apart. I don't care what you know, you won't use it. You can be the brightest kid in the world, not going to matter. So you've got a real problem on your hands. Because you can know stuff, and you won't do stuff. That's a serious problem called a performance disorder. So what we know about ADHD is it's going to put all five of those levels at risk because it interferes with all seven executive functions, and you're going to have time blindness. And you won't be able to aim your behavior toward the future, to care for yourself as effectively as other people are able to do. You have intention deficit disorder. Oh. You have a disorder of performance, not knowledge. You know what to do, but can't do it. You have a disorder of the when and the where, not the what and the how. Your problem is not with knowing what to do. It's with doing what you know. Just going to pause here briefly. Not everyone who, who experiences this has ADHD, but if you have, there is a chance. And believe me, I'm speaking from experience. I'm sure there are a ton of other gamers who have felt this. The gulf between knowing and doing. A performance disorder. How instructive. Anyway, continue, continue. What does that mean? It means that all interventions must be out at that place in the environment where you're not doing what you know huh. to help you show what you know. I have to create scaffolding around you to help you do this. What does this mean for treatment? Teaching skills is inadequate. It won't work. You can sit down with somebody with ADHD and tell them what yep. they need to do. Check. <laughs> Good luck. Right? It's not even going to leave your office. You act like they're stupid. They're not. They know what to do. They know what you're telling them to do. Right? Damn they're straight. not going to do it. Damn. When they get out there, that information has no controlling value over their life. Oh. And it ticks you off. You start to interpret it as a motivational problem. Hmm. But the only way to deal with executive deficits is to re-engineer the environment around them to help them show what they know. And help all treatments show must what be they out know. there in their life where you have to build that scaffolding. All of this in ADHD is due to neurogenetic deficits. And that means that medication is absolutely justifiable. After all, if you have a neurogenetic disorder, then neurogenetic therapies have a role to play in your disorder. And they do. 80% of people with ADHD will be on medication at some point in their life. And good thing. It's the most effective thing we have. There are other things we can do, but that's the most effective. Now, you might be able to train up some of these executive functions. We don't know that yet. We don't know whether practicing working memory actually helps you in life. There's no evidence that it does at this point, at least convincingly, but there's a possibility. Wow, that's a lot. Dr. Barkley is a lot. I love this guy. Knowledge versus performance. Like we paused at earlier, huge, huge for me to understand. You know, I don't have this in my notes, but the thing that I really remember about this ADHD diagnosis back in, I think it was March or April of 2020, about a year ago, actually right around the time of the, um, uh, the onset of the pandemic, pretty early in it. What I really remember is thinking to myself, this explains all the failures of my life that I'm so ashamed of. This explains what was going on. This explains the X factor. Because my life had not added up 
in a lot of ways. You take this part of me, and this part of me, and this part of me, and you add them up, and you get this. Only I wasn't that. I was something less. What was counterbalancing this expected outcome? So, like he mentions, ADHD is an interference with executive function. He also mentioned that it tends to tick people off and get perceived as a motivational problem, which interestingly enough, Henry, Henry in the chat just referenced, can help but think that proper motivation is key here. I personally don't feel very motivated when I'm supposed to be doing something that is expected to be by external forces. Me too. Me too. And this is exactly the feedback that I got from my teachers, from my parents. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you motivated? And I want to talk about that for a second. Because when I was doing this, this kind of realization of feeling like this connects the dots, what I did was I looked back at some of those really big moments to try to fit this explanation to my life, to rationalize it. And of course, what do we go back to? School. For me, I think the first point in my life where ADHD really started to very clearly manifest, it might have been there before this, but it hadn't really had a very material effect on my life um, and the outcomes of it, was in 2001. I was 17 years old. I'd been taking a class in uh, 10th grade, high school, as a sophomore, and it was AP U.S. History. U.S. History, you know, U.S. history, pretty simple, easy to understand. This was an AP class. So the point of it was for me to take an advanced placement test at the end of it. Now, I was given scores and grades on tests throughout the, the school year studying for this coursework. I was assigned essays. They were graded. I was given assessments. But at the end of the day, because it was an AP class, my only grade that actually mattered was the grade that I got on the AP exam, which was an official standardized exam presented outside of the school, but that the school internalized as the, my grade on the course. A lot of cool things I could say about that class, but I will chuck aside most of them just to say that over time, my, my, my performance in the class slipped. And by the time I got to the end of the school year, we were getting ready to take the test. I think I had maybe like a C in the course and there were some kind of informal predictions going around the class about who would score and who would score well and how everyone would score. And I think that I was placed near the bottom of the pack by most of my colleagues, not colleagues, classmates. Um, but what actually happened was I took 36 hours and I read all the coursework front to back before the exam and I got a perfect score. So that's an example of a time where I overpowered my ADHD. And it's something that I really have always had the ability to do when the stakes are high and when failure is imminent. And it's what carried me through most of my school years, I think. But not forever. It wasn't always enough to just overpower my ADHD. Because later that same year, sorry, it would have been next year, when I was a senior in high school, 
I was enrolled in something called the International Baccalaureate Program at my high school. It was this elitist sort of, like, like uh, think of AP exams, but think of a superstructure around AP exams, where there's multiple AP-like exams. That was International Baccalaureate. And I was in it as a junior in high school, and I did fine. You know, I did well. Fine for me was A's, for the most part. I was always an A student up to this point in my life. And... All this, and then I had a summer assignment to read a whole bunch of books for this IB English class that I'll be taking in the fall semester of 2001, senior year. I didn't do the work. I didn't read the books. I got into class and I didn't do the work. And eventually I was just quietly failed out of the program and sent back to normal English class. It was actually the first time in my entire four years of high school that I had had a class with some of my classmates. Surreal experience. Because I have always known all these advanced placement classes. Anyway, I'm not trying to brag. The point here is that I could not focus my attention over time. I was not, I had a knowledge versus performance gap, exactly like Dr. Barkley was talking about. And, like he said, it was perceived as a motivational problem that ticked people off. So what ended up happening from this? Well, my high school guidance counselor and teachers conspired to get, th get me through my senior year. So they put me in a base level English class. And honestly, my science teacher, I don't know if I did any work in my science class the entire last half of the year. And my science teacher just gave me a B. I think she thought she was doing me a big favor. This enabled me to get into the two colleges that I applied to because I waited to the deadline, didn't apply as many as I should have, like all my other classmates were doing. Anyway, I ended up going with one and started college in the fall semester of 2002. Um, I slugged through for the first semester, went back home for Christmas, and then after I returned from Christmas break to college, I just wouldn't go to class. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't make myself go. And I ended up ha having to be found in my room by campus security, who was called by my mother who couldn't get in touch with me. Not a great moment. Really not a great moment. And I left school temporarily. I would eventually return, and then I'd transfer to another school out of state. And then um, I just kind of hung out there for three years until I eventually dropped out in 2007 when I was 23. And uh, actually, I did a video a while back called My Burning Crusade. Around here in the timeline is right where that video picks up, if you're interested. Point of all this is, these are all major moments in my life that did not go the way that they seem to have should have gone. And then an inability to take what I know and manifest it in the world perfectly explained to me what was going on there. And it was seen as a motivational problem that ticked people off. Let's talk about some of the fallout. So obviously I failed out of school. That's not great. But in a lot of ways, I was lucky that it didn't affect me worse. I was able to fall back on my family who took me back in. They weren't entirely happy about it though. One of the main outcomes of this is it really frayed my relationship with my parents, especially my father. He kind of became my enemy number one. 
He never seemed happy to see me unless I was achieving something, mowing the lawn, banging down doors for jobs, you know, whatever. So I learned to be put myself on high alert whenever he was around, and I learned to withdraw and hide away in order to actually get some downtime. This became such a huge part of me that even today, going on 40 years old, I tend to find it difficult to self-regulate unless I'm left alone for extended periods of time. I developed coping mechanisms, which is what people with ADHD do. I was taught this last year. The secondary things that result from ADHD. Let's, let's talk about one. Super briefly. Food. Elevating your blood glucose relieves symptoms of ADHD. Did y'all know that? That's why a lot of times when I'm on here on stream, I'm drinking something with sugar in it. Because it helps me focus. It mitigates the ADHD. Here's to that. Another copy of mechanism? Video games. But we're going to come back to that. So what did I do about the ADHD? How did I treat it? Well, let's take some clues from Dr. Barkley about what we should do should we find ourselves diagnosed with ADHD. What we do know is we are not going to excuse you from your mistakes. Because the problem you're having is not with consequences, so why would I excuse them? The problem you're having is with the delay to the consequence. All important social consequences are delayed consequences. And that, that is a huge thing. It's going to pause me to read it. All important consequences are delayed consequences. If ADHD, you have a hard time with that. Oh my God. Yes. That's your problem. Time. So the solution to anybody's problem with an executive deficit is to tighten up accountability to make you more accountable, more often to other people with more consequences, artificial as they may need to be, but I need to bring consequences very close to you in time. Hmm. So I'm not going to excuse your behavior. I'm actually gonna hold you more accountable than other people. And that is why we do BMOD. BMOD allows me to sprinkle artificial consequences all throughout the environment. I think BMOD is behavior modification, I think. To improve your functioning. And that means that the success of my intervention is based on the willingness of other people in the natural environment to make those changes. If they're not willing to build ramps, so to speak, to build the scaffolding, it's not gonna work. The stakeholders have to be involved. It means that ADHD is the diabetes of psychiatry. It's a chronic disorder that must be managed every day to prevent the secondary harms it's going to cause. But there is no cure for this disorder. Now, I All right. Dr. Barkley hitting us hard again. So, all important social consequences are delayed consequences. So how do we deal with this? We undelay the consequences, create more accountability. He said that the success of his intervention is based on the willingness of other people in the natural environment to build the scaffolding. The stakeholders have to be involved. Who are the stakeholders? Who are my stakeholders? Well, I can offer you a few examples of this exact phenomenon, this exact scaffolding 
that required stakeholder involvement. My, my biggest stakeholder is my wife, y'all. Of course it's my wife. We've been together for a decade, married almost as long. She knows and deals with my shit more than anybody. So once I started going down this road, a few things came up and ended up happening. Some were my ideas, some were her ideas, but she was a willing participant in helping deal with this. One of the things that I did when I first realized I had ADHD was I started bringing my wife coffee every morning at the same time. Why did I do this? Well, she needed coffee in the morning and it was a nice thing for me to do. Of course, there's that. That's amazing. But this helped me regulate my sleep in a way that I was not doing before that. Even though the pandemic had just set in in early 2000, I'd been working remotely for almost a year at that point and had done what most remote workers do and I wake up when I need to be physically accountable for something, to get something done or to be present on a meeting. This helped regulate my sleep, which is a big problem for people with ADHD. I also created a regular financial ceremony with my wife. In other words, we made a schedule to sit down and balance our books and I created the structure and the spreadsheets and whatever we needed to make that happen. That was huge in helping us get a hold of our money situation, which is a lot, which is we now handle with a lot less stress than we used to. And last but not least, y'all, y'all, I started a weekly podcast. Uh, funnily enough, it actually predated the ADHD diagnosis. But once I got the diagnosis, it reaffirmed why I should be doing this and the utility of setting a weekly goal to sit down and do something every week to order my interests by getting external stakeholders involved. Y'all. Anyway, this is a little self-indulgent. Um, I don't normally like to go into this level of detail, but there there is a reason I'm bringing this up. And there's a payoff here. And um, it has to do with New World, like I mentioned. At the very start of this talk, I said New World is having a strange effect on me. It, of course, is an exciting game, having fun playing, and but it's giving me this sense of relaxation and almost like sedation that abides with me outside of the game. I'm not even playing it. I think ADHD has something to do with it. And again, to answer why, we're going to refer back to Dr. Barkley. So let's do that. So here are the things that my theory tells you to do to help people with executive deficits. This okay, I'm gonna let him finish. But before I do that, let's have a look at what he's showing here on the screen. How can we compensate for executive function deficits by reverse engineering the executive function system? This is the part of the mind that is deficient with people who have ADHD, like yours truly. Number one, externalize important information to key points of performance. Number two, externalize time and time periods related to tasks and important deadlines. 
Number three, break up lengthy tasks or ones spanning long periods of time into many small steps. Number four, externalize sources of motivation. Number five, externalize mental problem solving. These are all things people that don't have ADHD can usually do to some, to some level internally automatically. And these are all things that New World is doing for me when I'm logged into it. New World externalizes important information at key points of performance. New World externalizes time and time periods related to tasks and important deadlines. New World breaks up lengthy tasks or ones spanning long periods of time into many small steps. New World externalizes sources of motivation. New World externalizes mental problem solving. Now, I have ADHD in the real world, and I have ADHD in the new world. When I'm in new world, my ADHD is being treated. This is what I told you this morning. This is the take-home cash value of shifting your framework from an attention disorder to an executive disorder. And the theory tells you all six things you got to do. Step one, you have to make mental information physical. You must externalize the information because working memory is shot. That means we have to use cues, signs, charts, reminders, do lists. I got to put stuff in your visual field to remind you of what needs to be done right here, right now. Make West tracker. It external again. The next thing I have to do is make time physical, real, through clocks, timers, counters, watchminders, anything I can enlist that is going to put time outside of you so that you can see it passing and judge your performance relative to it, because you have no clock. We got to put one in your visual field. I'm going to have to take lengthy assignments because they involve spans of time and get rid of time. Make them small quotas, little baby steps over the bridge in time, a little bit of work done frequently over time, and we'll get you there. But you will Daily. not do book reports and science projects <laughs> and other things on your own. You can't. Those involve delays, and you can't handle delays. So the best way to solve the problem is get rid of the delay and bring it back into the now through little steps. Break all long-term projects into baby steps. Do a baby step a day. You get there. But if you don't do that, they're not doing it. You have to make motivation external. They can't create internal motivation. They are dependent on the environment for their motivation. You must put the consequences in the now or they will not work for you. This is what video games do and what homework does not, which is why they can play video games for hours and not do their homework for more than a few minutes. Video games provide external continuous reinforcement. Homework does nothing. Video games do not need ex or internal motivation, whereas homework does. There it is. Thank you, Dr. Russell Barkley. <laughs> there it is. What do I do with this? I don't know. I'm just noticing it. I'm practicing self-observation. Henry says, Russell's trying to cram the round pegs through the square hole. Why is that? How's that, Russell? How's that, Henry? I missed that. At the beautiful Flowers Bay. 
This isn't ultimately expected of you. It's something you do intrinsically interested to do, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, yes. Is this something I'm, I'm, I am intrinsically interested to do, Henry? Very much so. The problem that this weekly schedule solves for me is that despite my internal interest to engage in topics of gaming and meta interest and meaning, I will not pursue those interests in my default state, in an unassisted, unscaffolded state. I know this because I played games for 20 years before I started doing the podcast. And despite my inclinations and my interests and my ability, I never set, I never actually made any ground on any of these problems. So, yeah, the expectation is key to me. It's part of the scaffolding where I've taken the executive function part that I don't do as well as most people, and I've put it into my environment. I've relied on people like my wife and people like you, Henry, in order to make sure I show up. I've brought the consequences into the present of not showing up to do the things that are important to me. That's why it's important I show up and do this every week. And that's why it's so important that I'm not playing New World right now, which is exactly what I want to be doing, because I'm a little bit hooked on this game. <laughs> yeah. Henry, but what if you try to apply scaffolding to something that, something that you really don't want to do? Should you try? Well, here is the trick. Um, when I was in my early 20s, I didn't you know, I, I had less of a clear idea of what I wanted to do. So this is talking about the time period I was describing um, in college and then my, as a teenager, right? Now that I'm the age that I am, you know, 38 years old, I have, a, I have a more clear idea of what it is I really want to do. But in order to figure that out, I had to try a bunch of stuff. And in order to try a bunch of stuff, I needed to have some kind of external scaffolding. So a big part of trying stuff for me was just getting into the workforce, which has its own sort of external motivations. One of those being the need to bring home a paycheck to support yourself. That's a huge bit of external scaffolding. And in the workforce, I always looked for mentors, for people who could help me provide me with structure. I've been frustrated in working as a, someone in tech over the last decade by the small amount of structure that's usually provided to you when you're starting in a new job. It's one of those industries that famously fails to train new people, and says, you got the job, good luck, sink or swim. But to answer your question in a more general sense, if I can, but what if you try to apply scaffolding to something you, you really don't want to do? Should you try? I think it's a tricky question. It's kind of like a chicken and the egg. Because what applying the scaffolding ends up being is a skill. Um, and like any skill, it only develops as you use it. And the more skilled you are in doing so, the more success you will have in the outcomes. And the trick is dissociating the scaffolding from the, what you're putting the scaffolding around. The skill of approaching things from the thing itself. So if I decide that I'm not having enough meaning in my life, and I decide to go to, to go to church on Sunday mornings. And I enjoy the routine of it, but I find, the, I find the church itself to not be right for me. What lesson should I take away from that? 
should it be that a weekly cadence isn't the right thing for me or should it be that the church isn't the right thing? I don't know. Like, it's kind of hard to know. I think there's no one answer, Henry. It really depends on each individual person. I can say for me that the ability to apply scaffolding is something that I can do for things that I do want to do and things that I don't want to do. And the things that I don't want to do especially need that. There's a lot of examples I can think of. How about physical exercise? I mean, there's a reason I'm the size that I am, you know, notwithstanding the, the food thing I shared earlier. I don't like getting out and about and being physical. Like, my, my interests generally bring me indoors and into a chair. Um, but I make myself get up every day and go for a walk, no matter what. And I do at least a walk, you know, not at most. And the ability to make myself do things every day is one of the greatest strengths I have now. Every single day I take a shower. Every single day I, I shave. Every single day I take a walk. Every single day I have some coffee. Every single day I spend some time with my wife. Um, every single day I um, usually either do work for my job or I work on the podcast or both. Some kind of productive work that that is future-focused. Yeah, I don't know if any of this answers your question. But I really like your question. I think that the skill of the scaffolding, if you have ADHD especially, is very valuable independent of what you apply it to. And the question of what you can apply it to is something you can only learn by, by trying it, by trying stuff. You think you feel like there might be some value in allowing oneself to be distracted with things. Yeah. So this is one thing I'm not going to go over in this talk. Um, but one of the things that, that's actually critical to... I, I, sorry, I should correct myself. I was not planning to go over it in this talk. One of these is that that's actually critical for ADHD, which he goes over almost right after this slide. By he, I mean Dr. Russell Barkley. Is self-regulatory strength is a limited resource pool. This is a great infographic. In order, to, in order to apply executive function, in order to embrace the scaffolding, whether it's inside yourself or outside in terms of your routines and people around you, it requires willpower. It requires energy. You have to put time energy into it. He lists here inhibition and self-restraint, self-management to time, self-organization and problem solving, emotional self-regulation, self-motivation, all things that drain your resource pool. He also suggests that stress, alcohol, drug use, and illness drain that. So you have to find a way to refill it. And that can be lots of different things. I can't remember if, if he suggests anything in specifically that can refill it. All right, here's some suggestions he has. Greater rewards and positive emotions. Statements of self-efficacy and encouragement. This is something that video games do very, very well, by the way. Statements of self-efficacy and encouragement. Greater rewards, I guess that's in that too. 10-minute breaks between executive functions and self-resource tasks. Not really good in gaming. Three plus minutes of relaxation or meditation. Visualizing and talking about future rewards before and during self-regulatory demanding tasks. Routine ex physical exercise, also glucose ingestion. <laughs> exercise and glucose. Did both of those today.
So yeah, there is value in in replenishing your resource pool. And the way you get that energy pool back is different for every single person. This model also really helped me, really helped me be kind to the parts of myself that that need refill, um, not, which I've traditionally really denied myself, at least in terms of my own thinking. Anyway, ADHD, ladies and gentlemen. I have it. I'm not fit to diagnose it in anyone else, but I hope someone finds this interesting. It's certainly been incredibly useful for me to put a name to something that I've struggled with my whole life. And uh, I am seeing some related parts of it get tickled by playing this game. Oh, I also wanted to mention... I just wanted to give a couple notes about New World as kind of like a the news segment of the podcast today. Um, so uh, I did roll New World when it came out on launch. Um, I had a pretty um, average, I think, experience with fighting the queue compared to most people because I didn't want to try to play on a streamer server. In fact, I decided to avoid streamer servers. Um, I'm having a great time. Um, and the interesting thing about avoiding streamer servers is it ends up being filled up with just regular people who aren't necessarily the most sat, the most like um, uh, sophisticated in terms of the way that they approach gaming and organization and all the things that happen in the game. So there's a little bit of social carnage going on, which is kind of interesting. It's kind of a, a throwback, it feels like to me in a lot of ways. I kind of like it. Um, I'm having a great time, and I might take time to do like a review or an impressions video, but that's not what this is. Uh, in fact, after the stream, I'm probably going to get back to playing more New World. The thing I wanted to suggest to people is um, to take the reviews you see out there right now for this game with a big, 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 big grain of salt. I don't think that there's anyone who's reviewed this game that's really fit to do so yet. No one. People who have gotten to the end game are people whose play habits don't apply to most people. And the people who you can most relate to just haven't put enough time into the world yet. So don't really trust the reviews for New World. If, I, if it were me, I would start looking to like the Thanksgiving um, time frame for the first really quality reviews of this game. Or at least what the, uh, what the leveling experience is like. I don't really have any notes for today, um, like I mentioned. And in terms of giving y'all a send, like a motivational send, I think this whole talk today was kind of meant to be a send. It's a, another instance of me trying to overcome my default instinctual existence with some moat of awareness. So I will bid all of y'all Thank you. This has been the Deeg Podcast. Go forth and game with awareness, my friends. I love y'all. Have a great night.